It's Monday, October 29th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are beginning our study on the book of Acts, and we're continuing that study as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 41. Well, last week, we looked at Pentecost and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the tongues of fire. And after the Holy Spirit comes, we see Peter's bold Pentecost sermon where he explains the significance of Pentecost. And then the harvest of souls begins, which becomes the theme of Acts, the spread of the gospel and the expansion of the church, the body of Christ. So historically, the day on which Pentecost came to be was a day of harvest. And we see that the gifting of the Spirit is always First, for the gospel to be proclaimed so that a harvest of souls may be reaped for the king. And this is such an important passage for us as a ministry here at Lifeline because we aren't here merely to do acts of social justice and mercy, but we are here to equip the body of Christ, the church, to manifest the glorious gospel with boldness and convictions to orphans and vulnerable children and ultimately to the nation. So let's start by looking at this passage in Acts chapter 2 verses 14 through 41. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my speech on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall see dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. You will make full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right 
hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says of himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for who all are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort him, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls. You see, Pentecost is important. And it's not just something for the, the, the more charismatic believers to argue with the less charismatic believers about the gifting of tongues, or the gifting of the spirits. No, it's important to all believers for three very distinct reasons. First, Pentecost proves that the believer will never be abandoned, right? We see in verse 33 that, that it says that, that the Father sent the Spirit. We have received the, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, right? We are never abandoned. Jesus had assured his disciples that he was not leaving nor forsaking them at the ascension. He even told them it was to their advantage, right? John chapter 16, 7 through 14, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, Pentecost is the seal of the promise of God to never leave us, to never forsake us, and to not leave us as orphans. But Pentecost is important for all believers also, because number two, Pentecost ushers in full restoration of God's people. We see the, that Peter quotes from the, the, the prophet Joel, right, in verses 17 through 21. But if we look at the greater context of what Joel says, this is, this is he's quoting actually from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through uh, 31. However, when it's taken into full context, this is actually what the first part of Joel says in verses 25 through 27. It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming oak locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sit among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord Yahweh your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you, and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord Yahweh your God, and there is no one else, and my people shall never again be put to shame. Oh, Joel says in Joel chapter 2 verse 25, I will restore you. I will restore to you the years that the, that the lo locusts have eaten. I, I am a God of restoration. While Jesus' reign is secure and eternal, it is yet to come to its fullest expression on the earth. 
while death has been decisively defeated, is yet to be put to a final end. Pentecost is that moment in history which ushers in the time period for which we eagerly await the promise that we will all be restored. You see, Pentecost is the seal of the promise that God is going to restore all things to himself. But lastly and thirdly, Pentecost is important for all believers because Pentecost grants boldness to the people of God for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. You see, we saw the missional itinerary which Jesus gave the disciples in Acts 1-8. There was they were to get the gospel out locally, regionally, and globally. But this was a ragtag band of fishermen, tax collectors, and swindlers. They weren't from the elite, and they weren't well-educated. So how could this be the plan of Christ the Messiah to leave and put these folks in charge? The truth was, Jesus at Pentecost sends his spirit, sends the spirit. And the spirit was, wasn't just walking beside them. He was inside of them and with them constantly and consistently. The Spirit was giving boldness and utterances to these disciples so that the plan could be executed. The gospel would spread and it needs to continue to spread. Oh, Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12, we see it says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers of the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Why? The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Beloved, if we are God's redeemed today, followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, then we have an advocate living inside of us that will give us utterances to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors, our countrymen, and to the world. So let's be faithful and proclaim this gospel. And this is exactly what we see Peter do. Peter, the denier, becomes Peter, the bold proclaimer. Peter finally lives out his name, Petra, the rock on which the church would be built. And so we see seven phases of Peter's bold proclamation, which we see from this sermon. A sermon which used powerfully by the Holy Spirit brings 300 plus to life in Christ. So these are the seven phases of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon. First, we see that messianic prophecy has been fulfilled. Messianic prophecy has been fulfilled. He says, for these people are not drunk, verse 15, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. They're not drunk. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, that on the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter tells those gathered in Jerusalem and from Judea that they, what they were witnessing was not a drunken stupor, but the promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right in the Holy Spirit city of Jerusalem where the temple stood, Peter was looking in the face of his brothers and telling them that the long-awaited prophecy had been fulfilled. The first message was to stop looking for something new under the sun, but to see the evidence of the Spirit and the fulfillment of Scripture. Even today, people are looking for something new under the sun. We live in a world of skepticism, and as believers indwelt with the Holy Spirit, let us show joy amidst suffering, hope amidst despair, and life amidst death. Because our lives prove the gospel. Our lives prove that the messianic prophecy has been fulfilled. And so the second phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon is the last days are beginning. Peter was, was quoting from the prophet Joel, and he describes the beginning and the ushering in of the end times. Because prophecy is fulfilled, there is impending judgment, which is scary. It's a fearful thing to be caught in the hands of a holy and angry God without the blood of Christ as a covering. 
Listen to the way Paul describes these last days to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Oh, beloved, this could easily be a social observer's diary on the current times for which we are living. The sign of the times don't drive us to dread or retreat. They call us to loudly and boldly proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. There are vulnerable children that will be born, abandoned, live with the effects of the last days upon them, and die and never hear the sweetest news of Jesus' great love for them. And this should compel us to preach. You can't tell someone they need healing until they understand how sick they are. When we preach, we must have a correct doctrine of sin, the fallen nature of man, and the holy and righteous judgment of God. Oh, Pentecost shows us that there is an ushering of the last days that are coming, and we are living in those last days. But the third phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon is, number three, there is still time to respond by calling upon the name of the Lord. You see, verse 21 says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is the prophet Joel saying, after you see these judgments coming, after you see the sun go red and the vapor of smoke and blood and fire and darkness and the moon is blood and the day of the Lord comes, oh, but before that, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, we must treat salvation with urgency. There is no time to contemplate. We must preach the gospel. The souls of men are perishing, and we must be urgent in proclaiming the gospel. Orphan and vulnerable children are in need. We do not have time to waste. We must preach the gospel. While we are living in the end times, there is still time to repent. Repent. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they hear if it is not preached? And how will, can it be taught if there is no preacher? Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. So let us who are called be faithful to proclaim. And that, that brings us to the fourth phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon. And that, that shows us in verse 22 that Jesus right, of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. Jesus Christ, number four, is Lord because of his miracles. Jesus' mighty works were the authenticity that he was God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus late one night and says in John chapter 3, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Then we read in John 11, verse 47, that even the opponents of Jesus were baffled. So it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered in the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. 
We live in a day and age of skeptics and ingenuity. We want to believe there is nothing that we can't do. We even tell our children, there's nothing that you cannot do if you don't put your mind to it. Oh, what a lie. However, if we are honest, so much happens outside of man's intervention and control. Hurricane Michael several weeks ago shows us the absolute limits of our control. We are out of control. We cannot bring intervention, but we have a Savior who is powerful, who is miraculous, and this proves that he is Lord. And this brings us to the, the fifth phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon. Jesus Christ is Lord because of his substitutionary death. He is Lord because of his substitutionary death. Jesus died the death we deserved. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 53, the one the Jews didn't have a box for. They didn't know what to do with Isaiah 53. They wanted a conquering king that would make them a great nation. And Isaiah 53 was talking about a suffering servant. They didn't know what to do with Isaiah 53. But Jesus the Christ fulfilled even the prophecy of Isaiah 53 because he was crushed by the Lord and stricken. He was put to grief and by his wounds we were healed. But notice too that Peter doesn't pull any punches with the responsibility. God didn't just have a plan to put Jesus to death to show some kind of odd love. Huh, no, our sin put Jesus to death. His blood is on our hands. That's why Paul says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus died not by the bystanders, but by the executors. We're not bystanders. We are executors of the Savior of the world. Our sin put him on the cross. And saving faith comes from faith that understands that we are guilty. And Jesus is perfect. And we can stand before the Messiah because he has taken on a substitutionary death. He has died the death that we deserved. And this brings us to the sixth phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon. Jesus Christ is Lord through the conquering of death and resurrection. Oh, Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 from Psalm 16 verses 8 through 11 to show an Old Testament prediction of the resurrection. But then he attacks our tendency to put confidence in the flesh or in the messenger. He reminds us in verse 29 that David, the beloved king of the Jews, he spoke these words in Psalm 16, but then he died, he was buried, and his bones are still in a tomb. No, you see, death could not contain Jesus. He has risen and conquered death. Jesus didn't just come to take our punishment. He came to conquer death once and for all. So we worship and follow the risen Lord. We don't put our confidence in the prophets. We don't put our confidence in the pastor. We don't put our confidence in the preacher. We don't put our confidence in the priest. We put our confidence in the high priest, the only priest. Jesus Christ is Lord through the conquering of death and resurrection. And this brings us to the last phase of this gospel-driven, spirit-saturated sermon. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he is the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all the prophecy of the old covenant. There was no longer a reason to keep looking. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the miracles, the death, and the resurrection were all spoken by David, the prophets, and the patriarchs. Jesus was the serpent slayer. Jesus was once and for all the one who bruised the head of Satan. His heel had been bruised, but he had come to, to kill and to crush our enemy, and he had come to free his people. Jesus is the true Messiah. And this gospel proclamation through the Holy Spirit we see is in turn met with true gospel conviction. 
But here is verse 37. It says, are cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart by this sermon. An invitation wasn't even given by Peter. He didn't sing seven stanzas of Just As I Am and wait for 3,000 people to come front. No, he preached this sermon that was gospel-saturated and spirit-proclaimed. And then the people were cut to the heart. The Holy Spirit gave the conviction. And then the people ask. Peter doesn't ask, hey, come forward if you want to receive this Jesus. The people ask, what must we do? You see, beloved, when we preach the gospel and share the gospel with boldness and conviction that's brought on by the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit will sovereignly work to bring men, women, boys, and girls to repentance. We just must be faithful. And so the message left for the people is repent, believe, be baptized, and you will receive the seal of the promise, the Holy Spirit. So the message today is are we proclaiming the gospel and leading people to turn from their sin? to trust in Christ, and to identify publicly with him. Because when we do, they too will receive the seal and presence of God through the Holy Spirit. May the Lord use the ministry of Lifeline. May the Lord use your life and our lives and our testimony and your testimony to draw thousands to the kingdom. So beloved, today, let us preach while there is still time for repentance, belief, and identification. Well, this week, we are praying for the country of Pakistan. We are praying that the Lord will continue to strengthen local believers and specifically strengthen the faith of those that are persecuted in the country of Pakistan. We are praying for relations between the United States and Pakistan. We are praying for wisdom for our partners in developing hope as they make decisions and helping guide the, the girls home there in Pakistan. We are praying specifically for our partners um, S and you, uh, for, for the sake of confidentiality, we won't say their full names, who are directors in the country, uh, working uh, in a gospel-driven way to care for women inside of Pakistan. We are going to pray for the Muslim community that surrounds our girls' home there in Pakistan and pray that they will see the light and the truth of Christ through these girls and the staff at the home. And pray that the girls' family members would come to know Christ. And we praise the Lord for the construction that's underway of the new girls' home and the space for the office and a sewing center and even a church. We pray that this process goes smoothly and that many would want to walk alongside to help fund the project. Let's pray to the Lord who loves Pakistan. God, we love you so much and we're so grateful for you. We know that you care so much for this country and the people of Pakistan, a country that many of us may not think about on a daily basis, a country that may seem obscure at best, uh, over in the Middle East and, and, and into uh, uh, Western Asia. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, be with the relations between the United States and Pakistan. Lord, we pray that the unpredictable nature of our diplomacy as a country would not affect the, the gospel going forth in Pakistan. We pray that, lo that, that local believers would continue to be strengthened by you, Lord, and that specifically that you would strengthen the faith of the persecuted believers, that through their their persecution and through their hurt, through their pain, the gospel would spread to the Muslim community. Lord, we pray for our directors, husband and wife, S and you. We pray that you would give them great strength as they share the gospel with Muslims and as they love on these girls that are just coming to the home. We pray that the, the extended family members of these girls would, would be woken to the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just thank you for the construction that is overway to increase this ministry and pray that your hand of blessing would be over this ministry and that you would continue to provide financially and through the prayers and support of your people 
the building of this home to surround these girls in Pakistan, a country that's hostile to the gospel. Lord, may you bring a fruitful harvest in the country of Pakistan. It's in your name that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.